from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 403. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Capital One, and Doppler. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. Uh, 403 Forbidden. Okay. This episode is forbidden? It is forbidden by web servers. I don't remember if we spoke about this on the show or not, but obviously next week's 404, right? Yeah. It's episode 404. It's big. And get ready for 420, because, man, woo! Oh, That's... we're going to blaze that one. Oh, man. Also, 403, the uh, area code of uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So, hi. Shout out to Calgarians. The first time we had a episode 404, I was very nervous. Yeah, you thought you were going to break the internet with your 404? I was just worried that the episode would not publish, but right. it, went, it went through perfectly <laughs> fine. Yeah, Mike, but you know, technically that's like saying, don't do an episode 13. It's bad luck. Whoa, this wasn't no. a bad luck thing. This was a legitimately <laughs> cannot website handle this thing. You know? No, it, no, but it was that, that it's the same level, though. It's literally the same level. It's like saying, if I publish episode 420, will I be arrested? <laughs> it's like, no. It, they, they're not related. The, the the flow of if you can put emoji in your titles, um, you can uh, have an episode four hundred four and it'll be okay. But I get the trepidation. Like I said, maybe there. I bet there's a podcast out there that won't do an episode thirteen. Just skip right over it because they're mm-hmm. superstitious. Could be. Anyway, shout out to Calgary and uh, also forbidden. I have a hashtag snail talk question for you, which maybe some people would have wanted for this. Uh, so far mark's question is do you use the skip intro button uh do i use the skip intro button? okay so our friend todd vaziri um i i put works... this question in mm-hmm. specifically to trigger todd vaziri yeah because i knew it would yeah. todd you know the original question was going to be about what bottled iced tea i like and unfortunately i don't drink bottled iced tea so i have no preferences because i literally don't drink it my daughter drinks arizona Iced tea, but I don't drink iced tea that I don't make myself. You have myself. now answered the question that you asked me not yeah. to put in the show. I know. So I know, why but now, are we doing this? Why are now we it's much this? more interesting because okay. now it's it's that we've replaced that question with this question that it will bother Todd uh, because Todd... You know, works in the in the business and thinks that you should watch the intros and you should watch the credits. And my answer is not going to please Todd because if it is a long credit sequence that I know by heart, I skip it because unless I love it. I mean, I guess that is what it comes down to is if I love it, I will watch it because I love getting in a, the mood that the intro sets to me. But honestly, there are some intros that are just boring or, um, or I don't like them. I find them unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And I skip those because I, I will watch them all once. I have a, I have a policy. New season of a show. Mm-hmm. You watch the skip. In, you watch the opening credits one time. <laughs> you watch straight the through. Skip intro. <laughs> you watch the skip intro button come and go. See what I did there? Come and go. And you just keep going through it. But after that, if it does not please you, I, I skip it. Yeah. Uh, so with some of them I skip and some of them I don't. It really does depend on whether I find them the disturbing in a bad way or whether they, I feel like they're a great, there are definitely intros that I never skip. And then mm-hmm. there are ones where I'm like, yeah, I'm, I don't need to see that again. I know what, I know what you're doing there. And it goes on because streaming series have no rigid time constraints. Remember broadcast started not doing opening credit sequences. They started doing like just showing the credits over the beginning of the show or like famously Frasier. I'm see, I'm getting back into Todd's good graces. Now Frasier just had the, like the shortest theme song ever at the beginning where they mm-hmm. just showed the Seattle skyline and went do 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 and that was it. Well, and then they also had a banging final credit song that you couldn't Well, they miss. did. 
You know? They did, absolutely, but it was over the end credits. And mm-hmm. But now with streaming, you just have endless amount of time. So people make these minute-long opening credit sequences, and unless they vary from week to week, like Game of Thrones did that, and that was kind of fun, because we would always watch the Game of Thrones credit sequence, because it would tell you like what the settings were for that episode. Smart. But like... A lot of a lot of these things that are on streaming now, they just have very long opening credit sequences because no one cares. It's why not make it as long as you like. It doesn't matter, and um, and some of them are boring. So I so the answer is Mark. I don't drink bottled iced tea. Oh wait, I uh, do occasionally judiciously use the skip intro button. Todd Vaziri, please forgive me. At least I mentioned Fraser and. Uh, mash i guess todd like todd and i both love mash so i'll throw that in there too so he forgives me yeah i will watch the credits if the credits are good if you want me to watch them make them good you know what i mean both the intro and the credit opening credits final like so like uh ted lasso watch it peacemaker loved it just every single time more of it please right uh severance incredible just you know so if you mm. if you want me to watch it do a good job of it you know yeah, and and have it not be it can be beautiful, but if it's boring, that's mm-hmm. the, like, do I want to take that ride again? Does it set the mood? Does it, do I want to take that ride again? Or is it like, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you you know you it's boring, and you just got to skip it. That's just how it is. And look, I know people worked on it, right? I know that. I I know. Yeah. I know. I actually like it when the skip intro button takes you to the writer and director credits at the end because mm-hmm. those those vary from episode to episode and I like to see who the writers and the director on the yeah. episode are. But I don't need to see like literally I don't need to see every executive producer on the show every week. I don't. I'm sorry. I, I don't. <laughs> and it's got to be a mixture for me of song and intro cuz like I love the mm-hmm. opening credits theme for Mad Men. But the intro animation is one of the most boring ever committed to film. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's like you got to find the balance, right? You got to yeah. do both. That's should there be are somebody's a lot of rules. job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on a future episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag #SnowTalk or use question mark #SnowTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. I you put in our document, Jason, that you had some follow up on CNN Plus. I do, I do. We've talked about this a lot on Downstream, very fine podcast that you should check out if you care about the sort of upstream things that we talk about here. That's the podcast all about that with me and Julia Alexander. Um, I did sign up for CNN Plus for a month just to try it out because we talked about it so much on Downstream. And I'll, I'll leave the, the, my... I, it's a misguided... I get why they did it, but it's a misguided, kind of misexecuted, I think, and probably doomed thing that'll get rolled into... HBO Max probably at some point, but um, but what I wanted to point out here because I thought it was funny is that in addition to the fact that it's a pro a news product without a linear um, news channel streaming, um, they can't they can't put CNN on because CNN has carriage agreements with cable and satellite providers and they make a lot of money because every single cable and satellite TV subscriber some percentage of their or some amount out of their bill goes in the pockets of cnn and so you can't if they took it to streaming it would it would i think violate their contracts or they'd lose all their money so they can't do that but they didn't create like a cnn plus parallel stream which i find infuriating because that's one of the things you want from news is let me turn on the news and you know it, it it's pricing is a little bit weird and it's getting launched during the merger of Warner Media with Discovery, which has just happened now. So there's the new Warner Brothers Discovery 
Uh, are they going to want to keep it separate? Or are they going to merge everything into HBO Max? Wait, who owns CNN Plus then? CNN, sorry. CNN Plus is owned by War, was War, CNN was owned by um, Warner Media, which is that. now. Yeah, it was. They bought all of Turner Broadcasting, which includes TBS, TNT. And, okay. Uh, right, and so they right. they they moved all of that inside Cartoon yep. Network, um, and so now it's all part of Warner Brothers Discovery, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of things about it that are like kind of bumpy in terms of its launch, and they launched with like a catalog of like their docu series that CNN ran on Sunday nights, so Anthony Bourdain or or like Stanley Tucci going to Italy, like all that stuff is there, and then they've got some daily shows, but it's very much like after Wolf Blitzer does two hours on CNN, he does a half hour show on CNN Plus that you can watch live, but is just archived. And, you know, I've got lots of there are lots of things about it that are complicated and weird. And I get why they're doing it, because you don't want to miss the streaming bonanza with your brand. But you're also preventing going all in on streaming because you can't move your cash cow, which is the CNN cable product off. And so what do you do? And the answer is they're kind of doing a little bit of a little bit, but not fully committing to it. And it's like, I think they're falling in this uncanny valley between fully committing and, and just saying, we're going to milk the existing thing until it dies. Um, this is, but, but on top of all of that, somebody uh, in a Slack I'm in po- pointed to an interview with Jason Sudeikis um, about Ted Lasso with uh, Rex Chapman, who was a basketball player who is now popular on Twitter, and they gave him a, a show on CNN+. Plus. Can I just say I cannot stand Rex Chapman's Twitter account? I feel like I see retweets to this account yeah. all the time, and I've muted the account, because yeah. a lot of the time it's just like low-effort content that for some reason yeah. goes really viral. Yeah, that's like, his that's his whole his whole Twitter stream is low effort geez. content that he didn't create that yes. goes viral. And I'm sorry if like, you know, I've upset if I've like said this is like you know, one of those like cancel me for my controversial take kind of moments. But like it does my head in. No, it, it it's a it's it's just as bad as some of these other accounts that are like super seventies sports or like there are a lot of like Barstool uh, and stuff like that yeah, is what it feels like. There are like lots of me. lots of garbage garbage Twitter accounts and a lot of things with low quality content or just viral content that's getting passed through and Rex Chapman is one of those. I also muted Rex Chapman at some point because I just oh, didn't Jason, want to see that Jason, I love stuff. how in sync we are about these kinds we of are, things. We are always in sync. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he's got a show and he interviewed Jason Sudeikis. And like Jason Sudeikis played basketball in Kansas and Rex Chapman played basketball and then was in the NBA. And um, okay, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch this because it's a Jason Sudeikis interview. It's on CNN Plus. I have CNN Plus. And this is all I just want to say as a podcaster their entire interview is in the bar that basically is the inspiration for the bar. It, it's the bar in Ted Lasso. It's in Richmond. It's the it's the bar in Ted Lasso, right? That's where they're doing the interview. Actual bar, actual pub in London, right? Mm-hmm. There's a hum in the background of the entire interview. Like the whole interview, they're talking to each other in the background. You hear, just it just keeps going. And I had that moment where I thought, is this me? <laughs> is it did something did I do something wrong? And then I realized they would cut away from the bar interview and the hum would be gone. And they'd go back to the bar interview and the hum would be there. And now, you know, you're not if you're not a podcaster, you're thinking to yourself, well, obviously what happened is that there was some device that was keeping the beer cold or who knows what that was uh throwing out a hum in the background in the bar, and what are you gonna do? 
um, you're not going to throw away your interview with Jason Sudeikis, so you're going to use it, and you're just going to have to grit your teeth around the fact that there's a there's a hum. Except that there's like a, a piece of software for a couple hundred dollars that that I own, <laughs> and that I think you own, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that lots of other podcasters we know own. That is a very simple hum removal <laughs> plugin that will you can you can do it either automatically or you can zero in on the frequency and it will take it out and everything else will sound perfectly normal and you will no longer have hum going in the background. And it was just a moment where I thought, God, CNN Plus can't even get their productions production right. Like they can't even they can't even do this right. If they're putting on a half hour episode of a show with an extended like 15 minute long, 20 minute long interview with a star and nobody said, could we remove the awful background hum from the interview? I mean, I don't know why it wasn't thought about beforehand. I mean, you're in the pub. Clearly they they took charge of the pub for the night, right? Because you can't just like have a pub. Like, oh, we're just doing an interview in here. Like you can't because that's an uncontrollable environment, right? So like I just yeah. don't understand how they couldn't have and, fixed and it. And in the chat room, people are saying, like, you can buy Isotope RX, uh, the base model, for $30 right now. It's like, yeah, you know what? I think CNN Plus could probably afford I- Isotope RX Professional, <laughs> even. <laughs> right? Like, w- which has even more impressive plugins. But, like, a basic broadband hum removal is, like, table stakes. And, again, I know it's a little thing that I'm picking on there. But, like, nobody at CNN Plus said there's something wrong here. Um, it, it we're, we've blown our interview <laughs> with this star, uh, because the sound is crappy. Like was nobody, in, I, I just, I don't know. Anyway, it, it made me laugh because it's such a troubled launch for CNN plus. And, um, I watched the whole Jason Sudeikis interview, but I also just shook my head throughout the whole thing. Cause I, I can't not hear that hum in the background and wonder why did nobody make any effort to get the background hum out? Because it's like, I've, I've seen this on other things too. There are other TV shows that occasionally I'll see where there's something and I'll think, Oh, you've got a, you've got a serious buzz on that microphone that nobody, that nobody fixed. But at the like highest levels, you, um you don't usually because people fix that stuff. And this mm-hmm. wasn't live. This was recorded. So they had ample opportunity to fix it. Anyway, I don't want to beat them to death, but it's uh, really unprofessional and bad, and CNN is bad and should feel bad. CNN Plus is bad and should feel bad. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell just about anything, your products, services, even the content that you create. Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you'll be able to sell your products in one of their online stores. It's so easy to set up. It doesn't matter what you're selling. Squarespace has all of the tools that you need to start selling online. They have tons of integrations of other services that you may need to use. It really is an absolutely fantastic system for selling products. You can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns. I think this one actually ties in really nicely with the online store stuff. You can encourage visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on the journey to becoming a loyal customer. You can just start with an email template. Of course, they have beautiful templates like they do for their websites as well, which you can also customize. You can put your brand ingredients like colors and logo. Again, all of this stuff you can do with their website templates as well. You also have built-in analytics to measure the impact of every email that's sent. And you can also get blogging. Squarespace has powerful blogging tools so you can share your stories, photos, videos, and updates. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. 
whether you are an individual, whether you're a business, whether you're an aspiring business, whether you're a group that just wants to talk, like share things with a group of people, Squarespace is absolutely fantastic. Basically, if you want to build a website for any reason, I really recommend that you give it a shot. Go to squarespace.com upgrade and you can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code upgrade and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com upgrade. And when you sign up, use the offer code upgrade and you'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of this show and all of Relay FM. Saddle up, Jason Snell. Yeehaw. We're heading down. It's time for a rumor roundup. Alrighty. And the sheriff's back with a couple of reports that we want to talk about this week. Mark Gurman is reporting that Apple is currently working on a variety of new health features for upcoming Apple Watch models. This is spread out over the next couple of years. Some of this stuff's been mentioned in the past and some stuff we have a little bit more detail on. So Apple has been working on a blood pressure monitor for the Apple Watch. But it has hit complications during yeah. their process so far, meaning it is likely to be unavailable until at least 2024. Accuracy has been Apple's big issue. Now, I will mention here, the first time I ever heard about this, I'm like, is it like an Apple Watch band that like contracts? Like, How is that going to work? It isn't as reliable as that. They don't. This is not how the blood pressure stuff would be um, monitored. Samsung have a watch currently for sale that does blood pressure monitoring. And they use uh, sensors, like the heartbeat stuff, to give an approximation of your hmm. blood pressure. I, I have to wonder, and this goes for some of these other things here, is you have to use the lens of like, what can be done in a fixed position on a wrist mm-hmm. and what can't be done. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like... I love that Apple is investigating this stuff, but some of this stuff, I think the answer is going to be, you probably need a different device that talks to your iPhone or your Apple Watch and does the work for you because some of this stuff is not going to be good enough on a little thing that's parked on the back of your wrist. I I, I just feel like um, they should investigate this stuff, but some of this stuff is just not going to be good enough no. um and that you'd be you'd be better off with a an accessory also the fact is not everybody needs all of this stuff like it's great that you've got heartbeat tracking and all of that but like if you can't make it work um or you can't make it work without lots and lots of effort the advantage of having a separate sensor is that a separate sensor can be bought by the people who need it and nobody else like i've got a i've got a smart bl- blood pressure cuff that talks to an app that will log my blood pressure in the health app right but it's a separate product and it's a blood pressure cuff and you put it on and you press the button and it takes your blood pressure and, and like it's made to do that and it's accurate <laughs> and whereas whatever this is it's just sort of like what's the best we could guess based mm-hmm. on our position on the back of somebody's wrist and I, I yeah i don't know a lot of this stuff i think falls it is a, worth falls just aside mentioning yeah. that the samsung thing requires calibration uh-huh. With an external, I'm not saying this makes it work, but just like just so I can give the full information, as people don't know, you have to calibrate it, and you have to update that calibration over time, and then it's using sensors. But I think that you are hitting on the point, which it's which is what Mark Gurman is talking about. There is an accuracy issue with the uh-huh. blood pressure stuff uh, that Apple is clearly struggling with. I would say personally 
I don't know if this is something the Apple Watch needs. Because, I, as you said, I don't know how you could make this something that you could rely on. Right, because if you could, look, anything that they can build into an Apple Watch that is reliable, the brilliance of it is it's monitoring you all the time when you wear it. You don't have to remember mm-hmm. to run these things. This is the brilliance of tracking your heart rate, is it just does it. And it can track your blood oxygen with the newer models, and it just does it. And that means that if you have something weird going on with your heart or if it del- it, you know, it detects something weird going on, you can be alerted for it. Now, the ECG that they've got is less useful because you actually have to run it. And, of course, it has its own limitations. But it's like a utility add-on that it, you have to be actively doing, which is still nice because it's in the footprint of the watch, but it's not as good as the stuff that just runs in the background. And so, yeah, if you could accurately measure blood pressure so that without doing anything, you've got a record of your blood pressure at various points throughout the day uh, for weeks on end to send to your doctor and say, here's how I'm doing with my blood pressure. Great. But if it's an estimate and they can't make claims in certain countries and all this. Like, that's where I think, don't do it. Like, if, if, if it is not, the bar needs to be fairly high. And like, if you can't get over it, um, don't say you sort of can sort of tell blood pressure. Like, you shouldn't do that. You should instead make an effort or make an external device mm-hmm. to do that if you mm-hmm. want, if you're really so great. But, you know, Apple's mostly relied on third parties. And this goes for, for um, blood glucose too, right? This is something else that they're apparently working on a non-invasive blood sugar monitoring yeah. system. And lots. again, if you can do it, that's miraculous, right? If you mm-hmm. can monitor somebody's blood sugar from the back of the wrist and it actually will be useful to- Especially diabetics, right? Like, but mm-hmm. people who are pre-diabetic or, or warned and say your blood rush, your blood sugar levels are actually high, and you should see your doctor. Like, that's all great, but it needs to be across the line. If it's just a sort of like this blood sugar measurement is for entertainment purposes only, mm-hmm. like, no, no, that's not, no, don't do that. So I appreciate that these, this is hard stuff, but also we get these reports about Apple Watch sensors every year. Yeah. And I think maybe what's going on in the background is Apple really does have a whole list of things that they're like, what can we fit in the watch? And they come up to a bunch of them and think this isn't good enough. Yeah. And even the, the blood oxygen like is arguable, right? Like you can buy a $15 thing that you put on your fingertip that is accurate blood oxygen. The thing on the on the Apple Watch is like, yeah, don't don't make any claims. <laughs> and also, uh, like, just to to just to close out the loop on the blood sugar monitoring thing, uh, this is something that's still apparently several years away. They have no target for it. In the interim, the company is looking at improved support for third party glucose meters for the watch yeah. and the iPhone's health app, which is a smart thing to do. I, I think you know you're saying about these sensors. I think it's pretty clear now that they hit a wall as to what they can realistically do in right. the near term for censoring, right? Like, right. Maybe maybe there will be breakthroughs in terms of sensors. I'm sure there will be in the but future. But the geography, I think, is a 
just a seriously limiting factor yeah. is the geography. Yeah. And and again, we, we have that theory about like, what if you have a watch band that is actually like contracting and doing blood pressure? Like, but, but also you could have a watch band. The watch band is territory that they own. They could have a special watch band with more sensors in it mm-hmm. that talk to the watch. And maybe they'll get there if that's the limiting factor. But I think the truth is that even with that whole ring around your wrist as a surface for the geography of these sensors... There's a lot of stuff that you're just never going to be able to measure that way. Mm-hmm. And if they want to, if they want to have breakthroughs, what they need to do is make the watch and the phone the center of this kind of constellation of devices. And so, if you've got high blood pressure, maybe you have a different thing that you wear that monitors your blood pressure throughout the day and talks to your watch and talks to your phone, and that would be great. And if you, and obviously, if you need to monitor your blood sugar, you've probably got a monitor for that, and you want it to be really well integrated into the ecosystem. Um, you know, not everything's going to fit inside that Apple Watch. And and that's okay, right? Like, in fact, I, what I'm saying here is what I don't want is sort of a half-assed sensor that doesn't do anything that is there so Apple can make a very light claim that is not really a claim because they can't legally make a claim, but they have the sensor and isn't that nice. It's like, I have no time for that. There's yeah. no point in entertainment sensors right like yep. if they don't work leave them out and work on your infrastructure this so that is you can... this is where the yeah. wheels fell off with the blood oxygen sensor yeah like all the previous i mean this was my you know again long time listeners have heard me make this point and complain a bunch of times but every other sensor they've added to the apple watch they were talking about what it could do you know they would they would give the asterisks where they would give them but they would talk about what they believed it could do and they've followed up as well over the years mm-hmm. with you know look at all these lives we've saved and the blood oxygen sensor was kind of like yeah you know yeah, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, <laughs> that's kind of, and it was such a strange thing. For, isn't it fun to have a number? Yeah. Okay, great. No, what can I you mean, do with when that you number? think about uh, look at it, write it down, whatever you like. Enjoy. Uh the the uh I I think the life-changing things that have happened with the Apple Watch in terms of health are just the act of tracking. Mm-hmm. That's one of them. And the act of tracking and prodding and saying close your rings and stuff like that. The heart rate stuff is yep. good because it is a fitness tracker at that point, and I use that, and it, and it it compiles some data over time that I find very useful in terms of like, are you getting better with your fitness or or worse with your fitness? And like, I like all of that. That has had a positive impact on my life. Um, so so I would say the heart rate sensor does make sense. Um, and like things like fall detection are yep. great, right? Even the hearing detection, it's a usable thing, right? And it gives right. it tells you clearly. This will damage you, you know. Like you, it's not great. Good to know, you know. Speaking of which, um, another thing that that we've talked about is, you know, AirPods. Like that's another piece. If I talk about the geography of these sensors, mm. there have been rumors that Apple has experimented with um, health sensors in AirPods, and I have the same thought about that, which is like if you can measure something better on the inside of the ear than you can on the wrist or the, even as good because not everybody has an apple watch then yeah you should totally do it if you can't and you can't find a reason maybe find a f- third party that sells an armband that i could wear every day that will take my blood pressure yep. or whatever right you, you could do that but um but yeah performative sensors entertainment sensors just not Apple needs to just stay away from that. And I I think they know that. I think what happened with the blood oxygen thing is that they really thought it was going to be more than that. And uh, they weren't allowed to say it was more than that. So they're sort of stuck with it as it is. So one temperature, one sensor, I should say, I've just given it away. One sensor we might get this year would be a body temperature. 
um, with the initial focus being on fertility fertility planning uh, as the right. main focus for that. And this ties in with Apple have some software-focused things that they're working on as well this year. Uh, one is improvements to women's health, as well as sleep, atrial fibrillation detection, and medication management, um, as well Huge. as continued work on Huge. the fitness tracking in general. I cannot tell you how many people I know who have talked about how their uh, either they're older or their their parents who are older have gotten Apple Watches. Yeah. And, you know, my mom has an Apple Watch now. And one of the reasons is the fall detection. Um, I want her to not only if she takes a fall for it to be able to call for help, but I want her if she's got if she's mobility limited to be able to use the Apple Watch to call me or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Even if she hasn't had a fall, if she's somewhere and she can't get to her phone and she's got her watch on her, that's great. Um, this pill management, like... I'm so excited I mean, about this. <laughs> my mom has a has a, a an alarm on her uh, hand-me-down-for-me uh, little canister lady <laughs> um, that tells her to take her pills. But I love the idea of the Apple Watch actually doing the 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 medication management instead of it being repurposing an alarm or something to do it like because this is a lot of people have to do this they're taking man medication at different times it can get real complicated and having a thing on your wrist that taps you and says hey it's time to take that thing and if you don't say i took it it keeps bugging you about mm -hmm. it like i think that this is a great example of yeah you can do this now but like some carefully crafted software that knows what all the issues are and could help a person do this that's great. Like yeah. that's the kind of stuff, and it doesn't require a, a, a bending the laws of physics to make a new sensor to fit on the back of your wrist. Yeah, I, I am one of these people. I have medication I take in the morning and the evening. If I forget to take it, it can make a massive impact on my day. So I have a combination of I use the app Dew for a reminder, and right. I have a pill box with the pills laid out in them, right? Oh, so classic. I can easily check in case I forgot. You're such an old man. I'm an you old man. You got a pill now. box. If because my thing is. If I don't, if I can't remember if I took the pill or not, like because it's one of the first things I do when I wake up, well, I'm stuck. I can't take more because if I take more, right. I've I've gone over my dosage, right? So yep. I have to have this this dual system. So the pill management uh, would allow somebody to scan their pill bottles in the health app and then get reminders of when these pills should be taken based on the instructions. And I think that's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I love it. I hope that Love they it. do this. Yeah, that this is this is again. It could be implemented badly. It totally mm -hmm. could. This is the thing where we talk about it and we express optimism, and then somebody writes in and says, "Oh, think of all the ways they could get this wrong." And it's like, well, sure, you could literally say that about anything. But I'm optimistic because I feel like this is an area where Apple could really add value by saying, "No, no, no, you don't need to repurpose your timers and alarms to do this. We are gonna or 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 download a third party app to do it. We are going to do it." right so that you can because so many people only use the stuff that's default and we're going to put it in there and it could potentially be something that's very helpful for a lot of people and i, I that's the kind of thing i love to see mark german expects it moving away from health stuff uh, a proper low power mode to come to the apple watch so you can still have access to some features and some apps without it just being that black screen with the green number on it when you're mm -hmm. completely dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> There are plans to update many existing watch faces. Oh, could it be? Could it be that finally some of my favorite watch faces that are still in their Apple Watch Series 1 configuration get uh, updates? That would be nice. I would prefer that to new ones, personally. Yeah, I would too. Um, 
yeah, fewer novelty watch faces and mm-hmm. more um, good refreshes, uh, functional refreshes of old ones. Like I love modular, and modular is still stuck in series one. And I faked a lot of modular using the California face, but like it's not right. Like modular should be the one that you use for this. And and the watch face design has come a long way on the Apple watch since modular came out. And I would really like a a better update to that. I wanted to mention the low power mode thing. I just wanted to say, I love the idea that low power mode actually has a little more to it than the blank face. That's just Mm -hmm. one of those things that um, if you've ever been in that mode, sort of like it just turns your watch into a dumb watch. And wouldn't it be nice if you had some, some, basic functionality beyond that um but uh but yeah that that's a good one and uh and watch faces um yes i would like i don't need more novelty graphic i mean they'll probably still do novelty watch faces because they like to show it off and have everybody go ooh, pretty and that's fine but like oh those the old watch faces desperately need a revisit so i hope that's true the satellite connectivity rumor is back uh, so <laughs> For emergencies. I thought, I thought we proved it was happening and then also proved that it was physically impossible. Mm-hmm. And now it's now it's back. Apparently coming back again. And Mark Gurman is doubling down on the expectation of three watches being released this year. A Series 8 model, a new SE, which would presumably mm. be based on the 4. So therefore yeah. getting the removal of the 3 and everything that's kind of like the 3. Maybe when I say the 4, like that 4 slash 5, maybe it gets more features than the current one. And right. also the rugged model for extreme yeah. sportists. G-Shocks watch. Mm-hmm. Apple I think watch. it would look super cool, maybe. I, I, I think that, I mean, I don't know. I think that, that fanning out that product line with some purpose-built variants is a great idea. I know we've talked about it here. It's a, it's a really great idea. Um. Yeah. Sounds good. New SE. I. I think we're all assuming that new SE. The idea there is that yeah, they'll finally be able to put a stake in the heart of the Series Three by making an SE that that is actually going to be capable of replacing it because it's so old now that they basically have to. Um. Wouldn't surprise me if this is essentially that. It's a. It's a. A four-ish or five, five-ish or whatever kind of model, and then it allows them to keep selling. You know, Series Six or Seven or both but that the SE is hitting their price point um, and hopefully um, consigning some of the older, especially if they're changing the watch faces, consigning the, their original screen size to the trash heap yep. would be a good thing, right? That they're, they're like, no, 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 we're not doing any more with that. We're able to update our faces. We're going to make a new SE and now the that's that's it. Sorry, existing SE people and Series 3 people, but at some point you gotta you got to move on. Because the SE is based on the four, right? The screen size and layout. I th- I think so, but it's not. It doesn't have always on. Yeah, and 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 yet they they couldn't get the price down to an acceptable price, so yeah. they still have to have their bargain bin one. I wonder if the SE will fill the three space, and then the SE two will fill the SE space in the Could price be. lineup. Could be. I mean, new SE, right? Like we we all were thinking, sort of like, well, no, you just need to keep the SE and get rid of the. That three. always should be the plan, but I just don't know if they're going to be able to get yeah. the SE it, to two hundred. I don't know. I don't know, or maybe maybe this is the time, um, or it's a subtly changed SE that allows them to get to two hundred for it. We'll see. Maybe over time that series three is sold less and less. Like who knows, right? Maybe they've realized that, that they can they can shuffle that around a bit. Who knows? Uh one looking at this report today, yep. I was just once again struck by the idea that 
realistically now, the Apple Watch is a fitness and health tracker first, everything else second. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that they landed on this a long time ago. And I will just use this as another place to just say, I just wished Apple made like just a fitness tracking device. doesn't have a screen on it. Like it's just a bunch of sensors. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, that's what I desperately want. I don't know how long they're gonna. it would take them before they would do that, if they would ever. Um, but I would just, that would be my ideal if they just made that. I like my Apple Watch perfectly fine, but I like more what it does with the fitness tracking than I do wearing the Apple Watch every day. I like my Apple Watch a lot and I wear it all the time, but I would say that um, it does feel like maybe there's a place for a product that has um, sensors and stuff and talks to the iPhone so that you've got a you've got a third party thing. I guess the argument would be there are other fitness bands that do that. <laughs> so does Apple need to make one if you've got a fitness band? I assume there are fitness bands out there that will download all their stuff into the health app. Um, but I'm sure Apple would make it more integrated and all of that. But that's the, uh, they, they, they've, you know, depending on what you want, they've overshot with the Apple watch cause it's a complete computer. Although I think that is kind of what they're getting for getting at with the, the low end, but it's still a watch. It's, it's a fitness tracker, but it's still a watch. It's not, you know, if you want to wear a watch and a fitness tracker, you are now a two watch person. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's not, I, I, that's not ideal for some people. All right, Mark Gurman is also reporting that Apple currently have at least nine Macs in development featuring four variations of the M2 chip. Now, will Love you it. Nine permit Macs. me Bring for in. a moment to read a bunch of stuff? Right, please stand for the reading of the nine Macs. For the reading of the, <laughs> the, nine, the historic nine Macs. Okay, so this includes... Easter a, Monday, it's uh, time for the reading of the, of the nine, nine Macs. Max. A MacBook Air with an M2 chip features eight CPU cores, 10 GPU, a Mac Mini with an M2 chip, so that's the same spec. Um, but also there's an M2 Pro variation in testing. Sure. An entry-level MacBook Pro with an M2 chip. A 14-inch MacBook Pro with an M2 Pro and M2 Max chips. The M2 Max chip would feature 12 CPU cores and 38 graphics cores and would start with 64 gigabytes of memory. A 16-inch MacBook Pro with M2 Pro and M2 Max chips and a Mac Pro, quote, this machine will include a successor to the M1 Ultra chip used in the Mac Studio computer. Now, there are two things I want to point out here. I haven't read through this. I don't know why, but there's no listed specification of the M2 Pro. I don't know why. There's just no listing. Well, the M2, right? M2 Pro is going to be a cores turned off version of the Max. So he's reporting what the Max has, which is how they're all built. Mm-hmm. And then they will obviously have reduced core options, right. multiple probably reduced core options from there. So I understand why they didn't do that. I, okay. I'm more I'm more saying, where's the iMac in the Mac Studio? Well, <laughs> these are well, these. Okay, so this is the 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 another part in this article is. The, this like where they are in testing, like when it's when it's reported as testing, is to indicate that these computers would all be introduced within the next few months. So those those two you just ah. mentioned would be later, like be further the, out. It's not to say those product, but like these are this level of testing where these all machines are now is. I've waited month. five weeks for a new Mac Studio. Yeah, they know, haven't introduced so a new long. Mac Studio in five weeks. What's what's wrong with them? The iMac, I'm a little more. Yeah, no. This is this is your first wave, first and second wave mm-hmm. M2 Max uh, roundup here. Now, what I will happening. say, 
So the second thing I wanted to mention, and this is very intriguing to me, it's something that we spoke about some time ago, I believe. The, the Mac Pro will include a successor to the M1 Ultra. So is the Mac Pro never going to have an M1 in it? Um, this report suggests, yes. That it will feature the M2 Ultra chip. Well, if, if, we're, if, if in his roundup here he's saying M2 Max is coming, Right, M mm-hmm. two Max is coming. It's and it's M2 not Pro and M two Ultra. Off in the like, because we had speculated that what they might do is start releasing. Now that they've got the whole M one line closed up, they might start releasing some M two products, but also some M one Max products might still come. Mm-hmm. Right, that that how do you do you really turn the page on the M one, or do you still introduce some new M one based products? Not not new M one chips. They said that's over, but do you still introduce some new M one based products after you've broken the seal on the M two? And German here is suggesting, no, you don't. Like that the Mac Pro is waited long enough, perhaps because it needed functionality that is not available in the M1 series, that it's going to be an M2 product. And that maybe that's when we talk about the quad version, which is like the ultra, ultra, mm-hmm. the plus ultra, um, the, the, uh, did I do that right? I don't know. The the Uber chip, Uber Ultra, Ultra Ultra Plus, mm-hmm. uh, Max Pro, um, Mac. that that it comes in a quad configuration because the Ultra is a is a dual, uh, and the M1 doesn't have the 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 stuff for four connections. It only has the stuff for two. Well, maybe this is the answer. Is that's because the M2 is the one that's got the connections for four, and so the M2 is the one that's going to be able to have the four chip thing instead of the two chip ultra um and maybe that's the answer is that the the mac pro has to wait but then it's going to get an m2 super ultra uh when it when it finally appears and i i I think that's plausible only because he's talking about um m2 pro and m2 max happening soon um because that's a requirement right you can't (laughs) the m2 max is the basis for the Mac Pro. And it's actually kind of exciting, right? Because it, it is the basis for it. Like once an M2 Max is out there, you can connect those up and make dual or quad configurations. And so maybe that's what this is all about. Yeah, so I guess my expectation on this would be if we were to be shown a Mac Pro in June, it will be, as I've done many times, shipping at the end of the year, most likely. Um, sure. because that's when they would be able to have out these other machines, you know, if we are going to see that, right? Because that's potentially quite a bit to go. Um, yeah, I mean, this is my... Uh, he he says this is all kind of in the works. It, mm-hmm. it does feel like there's an M2 wave and then there'll be an M2 Pro slash Max wave that will happen later that you get your yeah. MacBook Air and your Mac Mini um, on an, an M2 in in June. And then in the fall, you get MacBook Pro and Mac Pro with the with the Pro chips and maybe the Mac Mini Pro variation as well at that point because I do mm-hmm. think they want to do that. That's that several people have written about the fact that there's no desktop Pro Mac. It's you're either on the M1 or you're on the M1 Max or Ultra. Yes. <laughs> uh so this is next. Yeah. So on that note, the M1 Pro and M1 Max chips have been tested in a Mac Mini according to Mark Gurman. But it is expected that the studio has made this redundant from Apple's perspective, especially with M2 variations on the horizon. 
Right. And and I love the idea that the some of the products that have M1s will have optional M1 Pro or M2s will have M2 Pros because we mm-hmm. talked about it in the context of the M1. And I see that here, which is, okay, M1 Mac Mini, that's fun. But M2 Mac Mini, where you can, because Apple loves to tempt you to spend more money, where you can upscale it to an M2 Pro. And maybe, you know, M2 Max, mm, no, we're not going to let you do that. You need to buy a Mac Studio for that when when we upgrade it. But but the Pro we'll put in there. And maybe that's true with the um, entry-level MacBook Pro as well. Like it comes with a, an M2, but you could spec it up and get an M2 Pro in there. Mm-hmm. Um, or not. I mean, that would be a nice differentiator for it. I don't expect the MacBook Air will have an option to put an M2 Pro in it, right? But maybe the MacBook Pro would. So... Um, but I, the Mac Mini is a perfect example of that. So I would, I would love to see that. This episode is brought to you by Doppler. In software development, secrets are private pieces of information that acts as keys to unlock protected resources or sensitive information. So you can imagine the stressful days of configuring, managing, and sharing these secrets across different teams and cloud services. Those days are over. Introducing Doppler, the first universal secrets platform. It enables developers to automate the pain away of managing secrets and ENV files, which are a type of hidden file used when working with secrets. Doppler is your team's central source of truth for secrets and app configuration across all environments and clouds. Whether your secrets are in Docker, AWS, Vercel, or anywhere else, Doppler works where you work, and as your stack evolves, Doppler remains simple. More than 11,000 customers across all company sizes, from startups to enterprises, use Doppler, so they can keep their secrets and app configuration in sync across devices, environments, and team members. Say goodbye to those .env files, set up Doppler for your team in less than four minutes. Sign up via doppler.com slash L slash upgrade. All of that's lowercase. That's D-O-P-P-L-E-R dot com slash L slash upgrade. You'll have a link in the show notes too, so you can click at it and go right there. Our thanks to Doppler for their support of this show and Relay FM. Jason Snow, you you know, we talk, me and you. This isn't the only time we talk. We we talk very frequently throughout the week. Especially along yes. with in a group thread between me, you, and Steve, and we're always chitty chatting, as the kids call it. They don't uh, throughout the entire week. And I know that you have been suffering with a uh, a delivery that arrived at your oh, house. Boy. Would you like to tell the story to the Upgradians? Yes, let me tell you the story. So, I bought a studio display. I bought the Vista mount version. Mm-hmm. Because I have had a, two different iMacs and before that an external display on a face amount above my desk. Because I like having a thing that hovers above my desk and is not sitting on my desk blocking access to the desk. I like sure. it. Um, I ordered it on basically day one, day two. And uh, it, it after a long delay, right, of waiting, waiting for that product to come, it arrived on Wednesday. Unfortunately, I was at an appointment that I made long before. And so I uh, I got came back and there was a post-it note on my door that said UPS couldn't deliver. By the way, and Stephen Hackett informed me that this is apparently a UPS policy. My mailbox service with perishable food in it was also delivered that day by UPS. And because Apple requires somebody being present to receive the studio display, apparently UPS policy is since I wasn't home, they don't deliver anything to me thereby making my mailbox for the week unviable. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. Mm. That's a that I, hey UPS dumb. What are you doing? 
perishable stuff. Deliver it. If it doesn't require a signature, just leave it. Leave it at the door. They leave things at the door. That, they leave that stuff at the door all the time. But because it came with a monitor this time, they didn't. That's dumb. Anyway, so Thursday, I am home. They deliver it. It's great. Very exciting. Get it in here. Uh, open up the box. Put it down. Screw on the little uh, screws that were left over from taking off the last one from the Visa mount. Put it on my desk. And now I have a floating studio display. Great. I plug it in to the Mac Studio. And I sit down and I'm like, okay, it's floating. And they, and and I see a horizontal line of static appear on the screen. And I think, mm. Mm, that's not great. And then I see another one. And then I see another one. Oh, is this really happening to me? Am I going to do this? Okay. So first thing we do is replace the cable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what if it's the cable? I'm using a third-party cable. Easiest thing, right? New yep. cable. Try it out. Yeah. I'm using a third-party cable that I bought from OWC that's longer. Let's go back to the cable that comes with the monitor. That's shorter, but it comes from Apple. What if it's a cable problem? I can go to OWC, get them to send me a new one, whatever. That cable hasn't had any problems with my existing display, but uh, but the new display is flickering. So I get the new cable out. Still doing it. So I restart my computer. Still doing it. So I get my MacBook Air, my M1 MacBook Air. I plug it into that. Still doing it. Okay, at this point, I've changed the cables, I've changed the computers. Guess what? It's the monitor. This is the problem. Um, So I call Apple online store support because Mm -hmm. I realize I'm going to have to get them to take this back and send me a new one. Yeah, I mean, this is a new one, but it doesn't work. Out of the box. As I'm sitting there waiting on hold, fascinating. I, I, my MacBook Air is still plugged into it. So I'm still watching it kind of out of the corner of my eye and it's turned at an angle, but I can still see the screen sort of at an angle. And it's one of the most fascinating things about this. Um, The flicker keeps building like a, like a storm or something. So it's flicker, 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 flicker. Over the course of like five minutes, it builds to a crescendo where it's almost entirely horizontal uh, statics firing off. And then it stops. And I thought, well, that's weird. I wonder what will happen now. I'm, I'm returning this thing regardless. Like, even if it never does it again, like, this is crazy. I should never, ever, ever use this product. Hmm. And then as I sit there on hold and then talking to somebody, after a minute or so, click. Lick, lick. <laughs> and it begins to build up again. Right, so this is seeming to indicate, because there was someone asking in the Discord, that like it didn't seem like it was a physical damage to the panel kind of situation. Oh, no. There's right? an electronic problem inside. And these are, these are horizontal. It's going away and stuff like that. Yeah. This is absolutely a, yeah, very clearly. And I think it has to do with an electrical buildup that's happening somewhere, too. Because it's actually growing and changing. Mm-hmm. That that building to a crescendo made me realize, you know, there's a process at work here where there's like excess whatever, excess built up. And then it discharges maybe. And then it starts again. It's very bad is what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, unacceptable for this. So I'm on the phone to Apple support. And what's interesting about that is that their response is something like, 
let's do a return and new order. So the idea here is we return this one like you like you didn't want it, and then you just make a new order. But this is a new model that's backordered. And so what that would effectively do is put me in the back of the line for a sold out long wait time product. I didn't really want to get in the back of the line because this is Apple's fault. Apple sent me a bad display. So I want to I want to return it and get one from the front of the line because they they sold me one that's no good. I feel like the internet has told me over the years that the expectation is Apple always have stock for this exact purpose. Like this, that if yes. they messed up, they yes. can replace it for you. Yes. And they keep stock in the Apple store. Those Apple stores will say they don't have stock and that's and they do, but the reason they say they don't is they keep some around for people who have defective units, right? But this is back ordered and rare and this is a rare configuration too mm. i did think uh, later part of the story i did go to the apple store and i did think of saying in a very five easy pieces kind of way you can look it up people saying do you have a studio display back there do you have the apple care tools to swap the studio display's basic mount for a visa mount you do why don't you do that and give me the <laughs> Put put my vase amount on a good monitor and give that to me. But I didn't even go down that path because I'm not even sure they're capable of doing that right now. This is a new product. They might have to ship it out for that. So I didn't do that. But the idea here is that a vase amount um, uh, is rare and, uh, and maybe a studio display in general, but certainly my my version, it's rare. And so they don't have them, apparently. They don't have them like squirreled away to send out to somebody who had a bad uh, a bad one. So I talked talk to the, the rep on the phone and they say, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. I, I, we, can, we will try to do a return and, and an expediter replacement or something like that. But um, you know, basically, we need, it, we need it back before this whole, whole thing kicks off. So um, I can generate a, a mailing label for you and you can have FedEx come and pick it up or you can drop it off at the Apple store. And I said, well, I'm one exit away from the Apple store, and I'd really like to not wait around for this. And this is probably my mistake. I probably should have just said, look, it's all the same to me. Send me the mailing label, and I'll take it to FedEx. But, but, they, but the guy was like, oh, no, no, you can just go to the Apple store. That's fine. You don't even need a Genius Bar appointment. So I go to the Apple store, and I discover a few things. One is you do need a Genius Bar appointment. Two is they don't have any. And three, apparently online sales support, the phone people for the Apple online store, are really good at punting to Apple retail and basically saying, let the suckers in the store deal with this. Because I go there, and the people in my local Apple store are very nice. They are very nice and very helpful. And I was very apologetic because it became clear very quickly that they should not be seeing me <laughs> that the guy on the phone should have said look don't go to your apple store because i wasn't insisting don't even like mention it to me i'm going to send you a fedex thing you call you fedex will come and get it and we'll replace it but instead he sent me to the apple store so i they had no genius bar appointments they sent me back the next day i went the next day and the guy again very nice all the people at the apple store are nice this is not about them he was like yeah, they probably shouldn't have sent you here, but let's call. Uh, I will try to escalate this with the online store people on the phone and let's see if we can get a resolution for you. And so after waiting, you know, an hour at the Apple store for the second time, I got a 
uh, I got a guy on the phone, literally handed to me by the person in the retail store, a guy on the phone who took my information and said, I'm going to email you a FedEx bill and you're going to put that on the box and you're going to ship it back to us. And then I will try, what he said was, I will try to get you, I will mark it as an expedited replacement, which is, I don't know if I really believe it. I, I still kind of think what they're going to do is put me at the back of the line. And it's going to be two months before I see this thing. But at least I got somebody to claim they were going to put a flag on it saying, no, this guy really should get one soon, not in two months. Um, so, you know, at, at the very least, it was the thing that he could say to me to make me stop asking for help and just send the freaking monitor back already. So it's like, yeah. just tell the man it's expedited and then we'll, I'm not sure I believe it, right? I'm not sure I believe that it's expedited, but whatever. So I came home, there's an email from Apple with a FedEx label. I repacked the display, which was already in the case, but I repacked it into its cardboard box that it came in from FedEx and taped it up and put the label on it. And it is now sitting in my house. And after upgrade, I will take it to the local FedEx orifice and drop it off, at which point, theoretically, they will scan it and Apple's next thing will kick off, at which point they will tell me, you know, wait eight weeks. And then the mystery happens because the guy said, when you get the first note, it will say that you're going to wait a long time. But don't believe it. We are going to, behind the scenes, we've got a flag on that for it to be sooner. And I'm like, okay, I don't believe you, but okay. I don't understand this idea of a flag. How can one appear sooner? Well, oh, well, here's, here's how. Apple has a production line of these things, and they're coming off the production line. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, what I'm saying is, if you have a defective one, you should get the next one off the production line not put in the list among all orders for that model. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And get you. and get the last one. So, it sounds like they have a way again or this could not be true <laughs> to say no, no, this is this is because what this is is an edge case, right? This is a case where they don't have those secret stash of ones to to send out as a replacement for something that's bad. They don't have them now because they don't have enough. They haven't made enough to have the stash. So it may be that they have a workaround where if there is no stash, they put a flag on it and say, no, this needs to go to the front of the line, more or less, or front of the line within certain conditions mm -hmm. in order to get one out sooner. I honestly, I honestly don't know. And of course, they are, th there's all sorts of reasons that they may be um, in short supply, including conditions at the factories and all of that. So mm -hmm. it, it may, even if it's expedited, it may be a long time. And I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm fine with that. I have a setup that is perfectly fine that I can use in the meantime. I just, I fell in like a real uncanny valley in the Apple um, sales and support process, which is what happens if I get something that's dead on delivery, um, dead on arrival display. And the answer was they should have been clearer with me on the phone. The retail people were very helpful, but did not feel empowered to, to do anything short of just a return and replace, and they have no replacements. So it would just be a new order. Um, eventually, the phone people made the noises like I was not going to be at the back of the line and they would try to get me one sooner. Um, I, and I understand, like, in normal circumstances, when they, these are everywhere, I would be irate about the fact that, like, why don't you send me a replacement for the product that you sent me that was not functional? Mm -hmm. I get why they can't do that. 
but it's a very weird situation. So it may indeed be that I waited five or six weeks for a display that I will now wait another eight weeks for because Apple sent me one that was bad. And I don't know why it's bad. There are some posts in various forums about issues that don't seem to be the same issues that I saw. Brand new product, uh, made it volume. Guess what? They're going to be lemons. <laughs> I'm not offended that it doesn't work. Um, they're going to be lemons and I'm glad it didn't work right out of the box because I didn't want to set it up and commit to using it and then find out that something was broken on it. But it is kind of funny that Apple, I I think I caught Apple wrong footed essentially where they're Mm. like, they don't have stock of this thing. And it's like, really hope it isn't defective. And the answer is, oh, it's defective. I don't have a product to make this right right now. And, and so I stepped in it, but I will say this is a hole in their process that they need to fix because the answer should be if it's defective and we don't have any in stock, here's what you do. And at, at no point did I feel like anybody involved in the Apple process knew what what they should do in that yeah. scenario. They all just fell back on cancel your order and mm. return it and make a new order. I was like, which, which if I could get it tomorrow via a new order wouldn't be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. But like, what if we're in a scenario where you can't do that? And it's backordered. And here we are. So I think Apple honestly is so, this is a supply chain thing too. They're so wired with their supply chain that I think they never built their processes to have something like this happen because why would it ever happen? Why would anything be backordered like that? Because they'll just get one to you in like yeah. a week at most, right? Like- yeah. It, like like they, they are so, other than all of their supply chain issues during the pandemic, like they are so solid with this stuff that like why would they ever need a contingency like that? But they seem to have fallen in that. And I unfortunately um, am the one who, who fell into that trap. So anyway, I got to go to FedEx today. Two questions for you. Yeah. One, did you ever try to update the firmware or anything? Was it possible for you to do like of a laptop? It came with the current firmware. The most, okay. Because I'd wondered, you know, you never know, right? Like maybe an update will fix it, but if there's no update for you to do. No, this is an electronic problem. It's the current firmware and it doesn't, and it, and it doesn't work. So, like bottom line, at this point, once I saw those horizontal lines, it's like I don't want this this display, right? Like yeah. even even if somebody's like, well, maybe it's, it'll settle down, or maybe when it warms up in your house or whatever, it's like no, no. If I plug something in and it has a storm of horizontal lines on it, it's just a bad monitor. Yeah, you're and, gonna uh, wait. They just should be take it spending back. all your entire time waiting for the next time it's gonna happen, right? Right. Like, right. And yeah. uh, and also talking to some people I know who work at Apple, they're like, this is such a new product that they probably want to capture it and take it back to Apple and say what made it do this so that they can analyze the way these things are produced yeah. uh, to not, right? Like that's one of the ways you prevent lemons from happening down the line is you're like, oh, this solder was wrong or this cable was loose. And you go back to the factory and you you figure out why that happened and if you can improve the processes so that they don't happen again. I will I will ask, I don't know quite why it passed inspection because presumably they inspected it and I literally plugged it in and within five seconds there was a horizontal flicker. Do you think that every single item's inspected? Yeah, I think they have I think they have hardware inspection. Okay. Of some sort. I think I think so. I think they've mm. got to start things up or run some sort of diagnostic on them. And in the case of a display, you would presume that you would plug it in and make sure that it displayed properly because you catch those before you ship them out because what you want to do is stop them at the factory right you want to at some point in the process they fail a test and you're like pull it off like that one doesn't go out Mm. um and and you use that as part of your that's probably the most vital part of your loop of um tweaking your processes at the factory so that 
you are efficient, right? Is yeah. you pull the ones off that are broken. And you're like, okay, why are these things broken? Stop, stop the line. Let's make a change and we'll fix this problem. Um, so I'm a little surprised it came to me so obviously broken. Um, it's possible that in transit, it, there was something loose and it was, it was shaken looser in transit. And so it, it passed with flying colors in China. And then in uh, somewhere between there and here, it got a little shaken just enough to make this issue appear. But I don't know. It's, it's fascinating when you think about the job of people at Apple to make sure that the production lines work and that the level of failure is acceptable. So mm. I, I hope if uh, they do take this thing back, they learn from it and uh, figure something out. And then the last thing I wanted to know is, do you still have your review in it? I do. Well, no wonder you. I would be much more upset than you are right now. But you, that's why I'm okay. Yeah. 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 I would be like ready to burn it down. You know? I, I was ready to decommission it. Right. Fortunately, the review unit um, length for this is much longer than a Mac review unit usually yeah. is available. Um, and and so I'm gonna have to take advantage of that for a, a little while longer, um, which is fine. Like I said, I'm not hurting here, um, but. I can, you know, other than not having the one that I bought that is on the arm like I like and all of that, it's fine. I'm just more fascinated by how um, Apple's processes did not solve the problem. Like, it was, it was very weird. Um, and I, I talk to people who are involved in Apple retail at various levels, and they say that, like, this is a common thing. Sometimes the phone support sends it to the stores. There are those moments where you aren't really sure quite what to do. And when I described my situation to people in Apple retail, they, they definitely had gave it some pause and were like, hmm, that's a tough one. Because if we don't have stock and you've got a defective unit, we can't swap it for a new unit. And then the next thing we do is we go to, you return it and we just place a new order and you'll just get it at your house or in the store the next day or, or in a week, but we can't do that. So what do we do? And it's just, uh, I think it's, uh, like I said, I think this is exacerbating or exacerbated by the supply chain issues that, that Apple, Apple's processes just aren't built for a situation like this. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Capital One. Have you ever hit a technical snafu while shopping online? Has filling out payment fields given you a headache? Has a mobile banking app ever been down when you were trying to use it? Capital One believes everyone deserves better banking, and this means easier access to money, more security, and that's why Capital One is investing in machine learning. Machine learning allows Capital One to do things like fight fraud of random forests with models that quickly detect suspicious activity and make it faster to alert federal investigators. They identify how mobile apps outages happen with causal models and keep their mobile app up and running that doesn't happen by accident anomaly detection and incident response help determine why app outages happen so engineers can quickly remedy them capital one speeds up online shopping with machine learning at the edge this makes shopping with virtual card numbers smoother and more secure this technology is based on logistic regression models and running inference in the browser this identifies payment fields and helps making virtual card numbers easier and faster to use the potential of machine learning is so big so you can see right now how capital one is using machine learning to create the future of banking search machine learning at capital one capital one what's in your wallet our thanks to capital one for the support of this show and relay fm i have some hashtag ask upgrade questions for you jason <laughs> the first comes from greg who wants to know jason hey jason what made hey. you choose to go with a vase amount for your desk in the first place what a perfectly timed ask upgrade question Mike. it's like Thanks somebody chooses them you know what i'm saying 
You mean they're not inserted randomly by a script? Believe it or not, no. They're not. Um, I, you know, when I when I bought my first desk for my home office, I was thinking about um, they offered a, they offered a Visa arm actually, and I thought, oh, put my monitor on an arm. That sounds great because um, I hadn't done that at, at, at my corporate office desk at all. I thought um, I thought that sounds actually sounds pretty cool. So I bought it. I mean, it was really like that sounds like a good idea. I like the idea of getting the display off the desk. And I had a I had a Dell monitor that um, with like a little plastic kind of up down thing that I would adjust. And I was getting a sit stand desk. And the idea there is that if you're doing sit and stand, they they sort of need to be in different positions. And I thought, well, uh, the arm sounds great for all this. So I bought that arm. And that Dell monitor, you could just unscrew the mount and put, it was a VESA mount on the back. So you just unscrew it and put it on. And so I did that. And so my first setup here was a MacBook Air attached to a Dell external display. Mm-hmm. And then um, I liked it. I liked the idea that my my desk was clear. And when the 5K iMac came out, I was at that point um, working here 100% of the time instead of when it was my work from home, which is when I started configuring it that way. And I got a review unit of the 5K iMac and I put it on my desk and I thought, well, I really like the 5K iMac and I want to buy one, but I don't like that it's sitting on my desk. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have really gotten used to the idea that I could adjust it however I wanted and it floated above the desk and I had all the open space under the desk or under the iMac on the top of the desk. So I bought the 5K iMac in the Visa mount configuration and... And really, the rest is history because then I bought the iMac Pro, and that one you bought standard and you converted it with a kit, which I did. And um, and so this display, it's the same deal. And really, that's it. Is that I like the idea that it's adjustable mm-hmm. and I can move it around and it's floating above my desk, and that my entire the space on my desk is entirely open, and it's just nice. And Vesa is good because you have a bunch of options available to you, right? Of how you want to mount it and stuff like that. Different companies make different right. arms I mean, that work in different ways. A lot of people use it to mount things. Like my TVs are Vesa mounted on on walls, some of them. And that's you can do a wall mount. That's not what I have. My desk is in the middle of the room and I don't want it at the back end of my desk against a wall. That's not how I use it. Um, so, But I like the flexibility of it. I could buy a new arm. I'm still literally using the arm that I got in 2013, I think, when I bought my previous desk. It's still, I'm still using that arm. It's fine. I'm sure that they make better arms now, and maybe at some point I'll get a better mounting arm. But it's it's very nice, and uh, and it works pretty well for me. And it gives me that flexibility when I'm, I've occasionally done like shooting videos or stuff where I will push the, uh, I was able to push the iMac like off, off the desk or all the way to the back of the desk. If you want a configuration where I'm, I mostly work with a, um, with a a keyboard tray, Mm -hmm. but if I'm having a, a particular like ergonomic issue or something like that, you can also raise the height, push it back, put the keyboard on the top of the desk and not use the keyboard tray. And I've, I've done that. Too, I think I prefer the keyboard tray, but that's another way to go. Like Stephen Hackett's desk, as we saw last week on Connected, um, he's got all of his stuff up on the desktop, and then the computer or, and the display are like further back. Mine is mostly the the um, display is closer to me, but like I can choose where I want it to be. It's great. So that that's I mean, I I'm sure I could survive. I have a a studio display sitting on my desktop right now, and it, it's fine. I'd prefer not, but it's fine. 
I just, you know, again, I just prefer having the the adaptability and adjustability and the, it just pleases me to have that empty space on my desk that I can put things on or I can clear out. And it's just, it's just a desk. Andrew asks, what accent colors and highlight color options do you choose on macOS? Um, mine now, are what multicolor. Did he, what do these do again? <laughs> like, and accent color, multicolor and accent color. So, um, every app can say, um, for an accent color, um, what is it? So every app can say what the highlight color is and the accent color is also, it's on, it's on things in the system. The accent color right. is basically there. So if you have like a yellow iMac, you can have it in yellow and then a lot of UI elements will match yep. the yellow. Yep. But if you set multicolor, it's basically like, don't match it. Just do whatever the elements want to be. They're that color. Highlight color, similarly, you can choose an accent color like yellow or orange or whatever when you highlight text and stuff. Um, or you can let the system or the app choose the accent color. And so you end up in a situation where um, different apps, this is this is something that's more visible on um, on iOS, I think. Or, well, no, I mean, it's a macOS thing now too. So the idea there is that, yeah, if you're a blue app, if you're Microsoft Word, you know, everything will be blue. And, and in Microsoft Excel, everything, every highlight will be green because it's a green app. Yeah. And like you can, like every app can say, oh, we've got a special accent color. But you can also take control and say, no, I want everything to be orange. And then everything is orange. So on my MacBook Pro, I also have multicolor and accent color. I expect this is the default. Um, but my iMac is set differently to its default, which is this Mac, which is only something that exists on the iMac right now. On the iMac, because it knows that it's yellow. Yeah. Yes. So all of my uh, highlights are in yellow on this computer, which right. I enjoy immensely, honestly. I think it's very cute. Yeah, that's that's the... That's what Apple wants to do with its colored Macs is it, it sets it to this Mac. So if you get a blue iMac or a, or a red MacBook Air someday, um, that accent color will be the same color. It'll be like on the red Mac, all the highlighted text is red. Mm -hmm. And on the blue Mac, all the highlighted text is blue. And that's cool. And if you don't like it, you just change it because you can set your highlight color. But yeah, the accent color, I think by default it is like a light blue. But um, in Mac OS... Um, Monterey and maybe Big Sur, but definitely Monterey. You apps can say, "I don't like that color." <laughs> I am a yellow app. All of my highlights are yellow because I am a yellow app. And in fact, Notes is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. um, Notes is a yellow app, and its highlights are yellow because it's Notes. I think I have discovered a bug in macOS 12.3 today. By the way, this has happened mm -hmm. to me two times today, and now I can I can draw a correlation where my dock has become completely unresponsive. And I cannot switch between spaces on my Mac. Um, this happened to me earlier today. I was like, oh, that's weird. What just, what's happened? It just happened to me now. This is after I changed the, the highlight color and accent color oh, no. just to see what they did. And then uh, my Mac, in many instances, became completely unresponsive. And uh, restarting uh, Finder and False Quit does not change that fact. Everything that I can see currently in front of me is working absolutely fine. I can go to Safari, I can use Safari, I can see Audio Hijacks doing its thing. Discord, I can be in there and I can type, but I can't leave this desktop. I can't wow. go to any other app. They're all unusable to me right now. Oh dear. Even Command Tab doesn't work. So that's very funny to me that that's happened. 
So earlier I had to restart my MacBook Pro to fix it. And once we're done recording today, I'll be restarting my iMac. So there you go. Uh, and Charlie asks, Jason, have you tried the Kobo Ellipsa? Are you interested in it? Mike will ask, what is it? Kobo Ellipsa is a um, it's a very large 10.3-inch e-ink product. Oh, just quickly, Ryan in the Discord has had, just had the same thing happen and now needs to restart the computer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So many Upgradians will be listening to this in front of their computer and have this issue occur mm-hmm. to them as they change the color in their... <laughs> <laughs> what have we started, Jason? Mm. You, Sorry. what have you started? Mm-hmm. So the Kobo Ellipsa is a big e-reader. It's like a 10.3-inch touchscreen. Uh, I think the idea, and it's got a, you can get a, a stylus for it, and the idea is there you're highlighting things uh, like you would with a pen, except you're using a stylus, and you can look at PDFs because it's got a big screen. Um, I... I have no, I've not tried it, Charlie. I have no opinion about it. I am not interested in it. Um, the Kobo Sage, which is a smaller e-reader, is still too big for me. I, and it's nicer than the uh, the one that I'm using. But the problem is I like the smaller size. So I'm using the Kobo Libra, which is um, a seven-inch diagonal screen. And... It's not as nice as the Sage, which is the 8-inch screen, but I, I just like it because it's smaller. So my wife is using the Sage, but I'm using the Kobo uh, Libra. So the Ellipsa, way too big. And I don't do pen on, I don't do stylus, like PDF markups. I know that there are people who are like doing a lot of markups, especially of PDFs, who really like these like e-ink products with the styluses. Mm. And great, but that's not my use case. I really am just reading novels. Yeah, 10, 10 inches feels pretty big for an e-reader, like a primary e-reading device. Yeah, like I said, I think it, I think it very much is a um, markup thing where you're taking PDFs and eBooks where you actually want to take notes and you want that stylus note-taking experience, and that's cool. It's great that it does that. But um, and if you like that idea, you know, you know, you know who you are. But I just use these things to read books, and I don't need a stylus, and I don't need a screen that big. What was the name of the big Kindle? DX. DX. DX, yeah. catchy name, huh? Kindle DX. Kindle DX. Oh, Amazon. Oh, you're naming. It's so great naming. Kindle things. DX. They only made one of those, right? I think so. I think so. two. Maybe I think there were two, two of versions of the Kindle DX. But yeah, okay. there was there was an there was an era of the like super mega e reader. There was also a company that did it. It was like a newspaper reader, basically. It was a huge screen. And the idea was you would download your e newspaper to it and it would look like a newspaper. Uh, and that didn't; th- those never really went anywhere. So this is this seems to be a new use case. There are bigger e-ink screens, and so people who are making e-ink products are like, "Could we make a version with a stylus?" And there are several like this. And is there a use case there? And it sounds like maybe there is. Um, people who want to go paperless, maybe attorneys and uh, people in academia. Like I, I see that there could be use cases for it. It's just like I just read books, and so I don't even like the the eight inch diagonal reader. I prefer the seven inch diagonal reader, even though it's inferior in a lot of ways. So I'm not, not interested in the ellipse up, but thanks for asking. And I will ask the Libra then is, is that your current e-reader of choice still? Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, there are, there are other, I think it's the best combination of functionality and price. Um, I think it's better than the Kindle Paperwhite. Um, it's got some features that are not as nice as the Kindle Paperwhite, but it has a bunch of other features that I really like. Um, 
I'm wondering what Amazon's going to do with the the Kindle Oasis if they're going to new that's their high end reader. I wonder if they're going to new do a new one of that and how that will fit in. Um, I really like the Kobo ecosystem. I I um I don't miss the Kindle really at all. I still have Kindles kicking around, but I don't use them. Like I have a Kindle Oasis, which is the high end Kindle, and I don't read books on it. I read books on the on the Kobo Libra. I just I just like it. I like the typography. Kindle typography's gotten better. The new Kindle Oasis is pretty good. Um, but if you're looking at the Kindle Oasis, you could you could look at that um, the Kindle Sa- or the Kobo Sage, which is I believe cheaper than the Oasis, um, and 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 good, just as good. So I don't know. There are a lot of good uh, e-readers out there in this little niche category, and I'm liking the Kobo stuff. So that's what I'm using right now. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on a future episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, or you can use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you can get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus, where you'll also get longer ad-free versions of every single episode of Upgrade. Just go to getupgradeplus.com, and thank you so much to everybody who has supported us and the show by doing so. Uh, I would also like to thank Capital One, Doppler, and Squarespace for the support of this episode. If you want to find Jason online in the meantime, before our next episode, you can go to sixcolors.com. You can go to incomparable.com. He's at Jasonl, And Jason hosts a couple of other shows here on Relay FM. Go to relay.fm slash shows. You can find those and many more to peruse for your listening enjoyment. I am I Mike at I-M-Y-K-E, and I too host many shows here at Relay FM. Maybe there's something new which you can add to your podcast list today. Um, is that it? For th- Have I done all the things? I think I've said I think all so. the things. I need to go restart my computer now. Uh, so I'm going to go do that. Uh, until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.